guys. How is everybody? Everybody's good? Fellas, are we here? Are we here? Are you guys good? It's good to see your faces. I missed you guys. Are you guys happy to be here? Are you happy to be here? Yes. What about the rest of you guys? Benaya, are you happy to be here? Let me see your happy smile. There we go. Praise God. Guys, we're going to jump right into the word and hopefully get this wrapped up within the next half hour. So let's pray. pray Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here today, Lord God, for a time like this. We thank you so much, Lord, for being here and being present up to this point. We ask, God, that your spirit and your presence will remain here as you begin to feed us your word, God, your message, whatever it is that you have for us, God. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our spirits, Father God, to hear you and to be able to listen and receive, God, your word. We pray that we don't leave here empty-handed. We pray that we will leave here full of you, God, and full of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm really happy to be here, and I'm even more excited about the word that God has prepared for you all today, the word that God has prepared. Now, before I get into it, I want to make sure that I'm not doing any of this in vain, okay? And for me to know that none of what I'm doing is in vain or is falling on any deaf ears, I want to know what you guys learned last week. I want to know who taught, and I want to know what you guys learned. So, does anybody have an extra mic floating around? Thank you, Na. And we'll just go around and we'll talk about what you learned. Stand up, be loud, be bold, and tell us what you learned. Alright, so Kevin was talking about like 
it was talking about the two ways to view like the events of Revelation. I think one way was like premillennial, and like the other was postmillennial. Okay. And, like premillennial pre means like I don't know if I'm mixing them up, but like, premillennial pre means like the events are yet to come, but postmillennial means they already came and we're just waiting. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you. Let's clap for all of our participants. God, God bless you guys. I want you guys to keep that up and, and keep yourself in a space where you, when people are up here and they're preaching and they're, and they're giving you their time and they're giving you the word of God, that you're taking notes and you're documenting it. And then when you go home, you pray on it. If you have questions, you write it down and you follow up whoever the teacher is so that you guys are getting enriched and you're getting filled with the word and that it would be useful for you in every aspect of your life. Amen. So the theme I hear this month is fight on, pressing on into radical faith. Okay, that's the theme. Fight on, we are pressing into a radical faith. Okay, it's a faith that the world doesn't understand. It's a faith that a lot of us aren't used to. In fact, a lot of people would probably call it delusion. A lot of people would call it something that is not normal because it's not what your eyes can see. It's what your heart and what your spirit believes. Amen. So the word is going to be taken from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And it's a pretty, pretty common passage where we're going to break it down and we're really going to understand how this scripture gives us the invitation to have a crazy radical faith. Again, it's Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And if you have a NIV version, I'd like you to stand up and read that version. Afterwards, I'll read my version, which is the New Living Translation. So we'll have two different translations and readings of this scripture. Again, Mark chapter 5 verse 21 to 43 and if you're there just say amen and if you can with an niv version and a mic please stand up and read the word Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, when, wait, where, where do I stop again? So you're going to do Mark chapter 5, verse 21, all the way to 43. Okay. It's pretty long, but you got this. So it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she had grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, 
Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at her feet and trembling with fear, told him the, the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed with your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After, they, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, and he went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitikon, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. 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 Kwame, God bless you. Now, I'm going to read this passage again. I'm going to read it a second time to reinforce what Kwame just read. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. I don't want to hear a word. I don't want to hear a peep. I don't want to hear a zip. If I hear you talking, I will ask you to leave. I'm going to read the story one more time, and I want you to understand everything that the Bible is saying about this story, okay? We're going to break it down, and we're going to understand how we apply this in our lives. Not a peep. What did I say will happen if I hear you? I'll just ask you to leave, respectfully, okay? I'm going to read this again. My Bible, in the New Living Translation, titles it, Jesus Heals in Response to Faith. Okay, verse 21 says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. When the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Verse 23 says, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. If you guys need a visual of what that looks like, I know we've all been following the news, okay? And even if you don't follow the news, you're on social media, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, so you see the conflict that's happening in modern day Palestine, right? With Hamas and the Israelites, or the Israelis, if you will, okay? The images that you see of parents holding their sick or ill or even deceased children, right? Those images, I want you guys to imagine that. If you need a modern sort of illustration of what's happening right now, okay? Jesus is just doing his thing. He's moving through the crowd, and the Bible says that a church leader, someone from the synagogue, approaches him, and he's desperately pleading with Jesus to heal his sick child. 
And I mean, none of us will really understand the weight and the significance of that until we actually have a sick child. But let's keep reading. The Bible says that Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. I mean, this woman, she's different. 12 years of constant bleeding. And you know, God, God being so faithful, God being so interesting, um, this might be a little TMI, but like I am currently bleeding. It's the time of the month for me. And this is day one, okay? Yeah, roll your eyes, whatever. I don't care. It's a thing. You guys, you guys had FLE, like family life, whatever, education. You guys know what that is, so don't get uncomfortable, okay? I am bleeding, and it's day one of my bleeding. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I was having all of the symptoms prior to that, right? And I was wondering, like, where is my period, right? It's finally here. But the Bible now characterizes this woman. We don't really know her name. We don't really know too much about her background. But we know that as Christ is getting ready to heal Jairus's daughter, there is a woman that presents with him that has been bleeding for 12 years. Ladies, we bleed for four to seven days and we complain about it. Like it's the worst thing in the world. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. She has seeked medical experts' opinion and help and treatment and nothing has worked. In fact, it got worse over time. Bleeding for 12 years. And you know, the, the Bible is you know, pretty, pretty generic, keeping it very sort of like to the point. But we, we know that, that when you are bleeding for that long, there are a lot of other ailments and symptoms and deficits that you have as a result of that. She must have been iron deficient. And if you or anybody that you know is iron deficient, you are constantly sluggish. You are weak. In a lot of different places, you ache, right? This misery that this woman has to endure for 12 years, no hope. The Bible says she hears of Jesus and she thinks, you know what? This is my only shot. It is now or never. So as Jesus is getting ready to go to Jairus's house, the Bible says that he is met with this woman. She suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Verse 27 said, she'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Again, verse 27, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, immediately, the Bible says, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done she said and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace your suffering is over amen, amen. verse 35 says while he was still speaking to her messengers arrived from the home of Jairus the leader of the synagogue 
They told him, quote, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the, the brother of James. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Verse 33, or excuse me, 43. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Amen. What an incredible story about faith, guys. What an incredibly powerful, touching, moving story about faith. This is not a parable, right? And a lot of times Jesus spoke in parables and, and in parallels so that people could understand what the kingdom of heaven was like. But this is, this is not a parable. This is a true story, right? And we're seeing here in Mark's account of what that story looked like in his eyes. A very powerful story, really two in one, about the power of this crazy radical faith. And, you know, I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes as believers, especially as young Christians... And as young believers, we have a tendency to kind of like water down our faith, okay? We have a tendency to sort of like take the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, and then we just leave it at that, right? We don't understand or take the time to understand what the Bible instructs us about what to then do with that information, or what to then do with that power that we have now as believers, as called again Christians, right? As born again Christians. We don't understand what we're supposed to do with that. But here, the Bible is making it very clear that as believers, we are supposed to have this kind of radical faith, right? This faith that, that doesn't really make sense. The kind of faith that as a woman, when you're bleeding for 12 years and you've gone to all of the experts around you, just simply hearing and knowing and understanding that there is a God who's been coming around healing people, that if all you did was approach him and touch a little bit of his garment, that you would be healed. Like that woman, I want you guys to understand, that woman really believed that. She heard about Jesus and she heard that he was gonna be in town and what did she do? She approached him, she found him, she approached him and she touched him. And I need you guys to understand the significance of that, okay? Because yes, of course, Jesus is a healer, right? But this is an instance that we see in the Bible that Jesus never even actually laid hands on this woman, right? So the very thing the Bible is basically telling us that activated the power, the healing power of Christ himself was the mere faith that this woman had that by touching the garment of Christ, she would be healed. 
Okay. Now, this is also really interesting because, again, it's like two healing, like radical faith stories in one. Okay, so the Bible opens up and tells us that Jesus, again, is going around. He's doing his thing. He's preaching. And one of the synagogue leaders, Jairus, approaches him. And again, desperate for the Lord to heal his dying daughter. Okay, and while Jesus is on pursuit to his house to heal his daughter, that is when the woman touches his cloak. Right. And so there's this scene here that we've all just read, and Jesus is trying to figure out who touched him because he feels at that point the healing power being released from him. So he's trying to figure out who touched me. So all of this takes time, and the Bible says that eventually a messenger, a couple messengers come back and they say, oh, by the way, this girl has died, right? Basically, it, it, it's over. There's no, there's no need in having this teacher now come and try to heal this person. Okay, but I, I, I want to I, I want to challenge you guys this morning to understand that while you are in this space mentally and spiritually where you are having to believe, where you are having to have faith in God. Right. That you are not only doing all those things, but you are also trusting in the timing of the Lord. Can you guys say that with me? Trusting in the timing of the Lord. Again, trusting in the timing of the Lord. I want you guys to understand that faith is not just saying, okay, well, God is going to do it and then it happens, right? Faith is believing that God is going to do it in his own divine time. Look at what happened. And imagine if you're Jairus for a moment, okay? You have solicited Jesus Christ himself to come with you to your house to heal your deadly sick daughter, okay? And in the process of that, here comes this other woman who's selfishly looking for her own healing, okay? And in the process of that, Jairus's daughter dies. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know, like the Bible isn't really clear about what happened there, but, but I know that Christ had to tell Jairus to not be afraid. Because in the moment, you're thinking, there's no point. There's no point now in Christ coming and trying to heal my daughter. She's already dead. It's already finished. There is, there is nothing that can be done, right? But Christ is still instructing that, the, that he not only not be afraid, but that he believes, right? Because Christ has the capacity to not only heal, but to also resurrect. And the significance with that, guys, is understanding that, look, you're having this crazy, radical faith in the Lord and whatever is going on in your life, right? But you're also trusting and believing that God knows what he's doing and he knows when to do it, okay? The significance of this is that if for whatever reason the woman did not come and approach Jesus and touch his cloak, then maybe, maybe Jesus would have made it to Jairus' house in time to heal his daughter. But then that healing power the power of Jesus to really resurrect her from where she was in death would not have impacted them because it wouldn't have happened, right? The timing of this is so meticulous that the woman had to stop Jesus in his tracks, interrupt where he was going so that he could heal her and allow now Jairus' daughter to die. And so Jairus is panicking. Jesus says, don't be afraid. They continue on their pursuit. They go all the way to Jairus' house. And at that point, people are wailing. They're hysterical. This girl has now died. But it's never over 
until God says it's over. Amen. And so in this moment, Christ is like, what are you what are you all crying about? What are you all wailing about? She's not dead. She's asleep. And, 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 and isn't it funny that those words came out of the mouth of Christ and even yet still the people around didn't believe Christ. The Bible alludes to them sort of mocking him and laughing. Like, what is this guy talking about? She's clearly dead, right? But no, she wasn't. He sacked them and he brought in his heavy, heater, his heavy hitters, Peter, John, James, and he left the, the scene where everybody else was asked the parents to come into the room and he simply calls on the girl to get up what happens? she gets up that's it like that's all your faith can do is literally resurrect you resurrect anybody you know from a situation or a circumstance that you have deemed dead from a situation or a circumstance that you think there is no way of overcoming, right? If you have that kind of crazy, radical faith to believe that God and Christ is still in the business of healing and resurrecting, then it will happen for you, right? It's not going to happen in your time. It's not going to happen the way you want it to happen. It's not going to look the way you want it to look. It's going to happen exactly the way that God has orchestrated it and ordained it, right? If you don't believe me, ask Patricia and Olivia, right? Recently, their father was severely ill. And I remember going to the hospital and, and looking at our dear uncle and thinking, oh God, this is not good. Nobody knew what was going on. The doctors couldn't articulate like what, what was happening. Nobody understood. But I happened to arrive on a day where I think their aunt was in town and, and her husband was in town. And he said, let's get up and let's just pray. And it wasn't so much the prayers that I witnessed that was so powerful. It was the faith of this family binding together and believing that, look, these experts, these doctors who went to school for four, five, six seven, eight years, these people who are learned, right? These people who don't understand or know what's going on, right? Telling us one thing, like we're, 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 we're good, we're good. Because we serve a God that is powerful. We serve a God that is mighty. And we serve a God that can do all things. And to this day, nobody even really knows how it happened. It was the healing power of God. And it was the faith that this family had in the midst of something so scary and something so uncertain that brought their father through that. And look, I believe we all have similar stories like that. It may not be to that extent, right? But, but where is it in your life where you feel like it's done or it's over with? Where do you feel like you are crippled or you're crutched or that there's some sort of setback? Maybe your grades are not up to par. Maybe you really hate your family dynamic, your parents don't get along, or you live with a single parent and so it's just really hard and there's a lot of tension in the house. Maybe you're dealing with a really nasty or mean friend group and you're feeling like you know, you're, you're the odd man out. Maybe you're dealing with different things and circumstances in your life where you think you can go to all these other places for healing and resurrection. Guys, I'm here this morning to tell you and encourage you and remind you and instill in you that it was Christ 
When the woman needed healing, it was Christ. When Jairus's daughter needed to be resurrected, and it remains Christ when you need him to do any of these things in your life, right? The world would try to tell you that, you know, the encyclopedia, maybe Google, maybe TikTok, maybe your friends, maybe even a doctor will have the solutions, right? But we've lived and we've seen and we've experienced it all too well that they don't always have the answers, right? And so the only thing, the one thing that we can be sure about, that we can set our boots in the ground for, is the belief and the faith that Christ is able to do all things still today. And, and, and do you know why Christ wants us to have this sort of crazy, radical faith in him? It's because it greatly increases and positively influences the quality of our lives. Right, Because what good is it to be a believer and you are constantly living in a state of fear? What good is it to be a believer and you are constantly uncertain about what your next day holds or, or what the tomorrow holds for you? What good is it being a believer? Right? God did not promise that you would live in a world or even in a state where everything would be peaches and cream. No, that's never the case. What God has promised you and what God has, has given you is the ability to have this internal peace and this internal understanding that if you can trust in the Lord, if you can put all of your faith in God and you can have this sort of crazy radical faith that really shakes you and rocks you and even has people looking at you like you are crazy, like you are delusional, then God will surely do it for you. If you don't believe me, just ask Theo. If you, ha if you want to, one day ask her about her testimony. Ask her what she has been through in having to endure and having to walk and having to trust and having to have faith in the Lord through all of the highs and the lows that life throws at you. Just ask her. Ask her one day what it means to have crazy, radical faith. That when the devil and the world and the circumstances of life try to sweep you up off your feet, you know that you can remain grounded in the Lord because he said it, right? And it's not enough, guys, to just say you're a Christian just to say you're a Christian. You have to believe these things. And not only believing it, guys, you have to exercise these things that you believe, okay? These days, the enemy likes to take a hold of us, likes to take a chokehold over especially young people with that spirit of depression, Right? It's a very dark, heavy cloud. It's a gloomy cloud that just lingers over you. Sometimes you don't even know why, why you're upset, why you're depressed. But all of a sudden, you don't want to do your homework. You're not motivated to do anything. You're not motivated to go anywhere. Right? It's a spirit that has taken hold of you. Right? A spirit that wants you to believe that it's done, it's over. And the thing is, that spirit continues to gain momentum the longer you allow it to persist. And so year one, the woman is dealing with blood. She's like, okay, well, maybe I can do something about it. And I'm sure year after year, time and time and time again, she's going in for treatment. She's going in for the cure, but nothing is working. But how many of us, after years of torment, after years of suffering, can we still have that crazy radical faith to pursue the Lord, to pursue God and to believe that he can fix it? In every instance, the Bible says that when the woman touched his cloak, 
he immediately, she immediately was healed. That when Jesus told Jairus' daughter to get up, she immediately got up, right? In God's timing, when he finds it best, because God sees the end from the beginning. He sees the full picture that we don't see, that we don't understand. He understands that in some ways when you are asking for healing, it has to get worse before it gets better. Because that is when you can truly see the impact of God's work. And I want to just note that at the very end here of this scripture, Jesus makes a point. And verse 43 says he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And, you know, I realized that, you know, a lot of times when God does things for us, we want to go and we want to testify and we want to run, we want to tell the world and we want to just broadcast like how good our Lord is, right? But I, but I, but I love this passage and I love this scripture. And when you read it in context, you really understand why God, why Christ specifically is moving like this. He's like, don't, don't tell anybody about what I just did, okay? Because Christ is in a season, he's in an era of his life where he is doing full-blown ministry, okay? Full-blown ministry. He is healing people. He is raising people from the dead. He's performing all kinds of wonders and miracles. And he's in this season that God has specifically called him to. This is why he's here. This is his purpose for being here. And he recognizes and he knows that if these people go out and they start prematurely announcing what Christ is doing, that is going to cut his ministry short. Okay, you have to remember the times that Christ is living in. Okay, the very fact that he was nailed to the cross was because he was charged with being blasphemous, right? Going around saying he's the son of God, going around performing miracles. How dare he? And at the time where Christ is living, this was a major threat and a major danger to the Roman Empire. And so Christ is like, look, I, I, I don't need you to go around and broadcast this just yet. Because in doing so, my enemies will find out and they will try to short, shorten what, what God is, is doing basically through the life of Christ. They're going to try to capture him and the whole story of his crucifixion happens a lot sooner than it's supposed to. And so I want to remind you that in, in some of these circumstances that you find yourself in, whatever season, whatever era you find yourself in right now, or whenever God calls you to it, that you're, you're careful about who you go to. You're careful about what you broadcast. You're careful about the things that God has placed in you in your most secretest, most quietest hiding places. You're careful about who you go to. Because there, not everybody who looks at you and smiles at you and applauds you wants what's best for you, right? You have a church community. You have leaders. You have teachers. Know who to go to. Not all of your friends want what's best for you guys. I hate to say it. Not all of the people that you move with in school want what's best for you. Because they don't even know what, they, what is best for them, right? Maybe they haven't found Christ. Maybe they're not on the same walk as you. And so as you see yourself exercising this crazy faith and you see God literally doing that for you, it's not everybody that you have to tell. You have to have discernment and know specifically how to announce that so that you are able to continue to fulfill God's work and fulfill it in such a way that honors him. Let's talk about how when, when Christ is moving with the crowd, 
he makes a very specific point to move with only a few of his disciples, right? His three heavy hitters, Peter, John, and James, right? Guys, sometimes when you're moving in a certain direction, when God is moving you to do a certain assignment, it's not everybody that you take with you. It's not everybody that moves along with you. It's not everybody that's following you and, and, and pursuing this with you. Not everybody is called to that, right? And I say this to you guys as young people because one of the things that we desire most is to fit in. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be in a space where people are applauding us and loving on us, right? But, but not everybody needs to come with you. Not everybody needs to, to pursue that assignment that God has called for you. And part of that faith that you have in God is trusting and knowing in the people that God surrounds you with in that season of your life. Trusting that these are the people that will pray for you. These are the people that will encourage you. These are the people that will pour into you constantly and consistently to continue to lift you up and take you exactly where God needs to take you. Amen? Amen. It's not going to be an easy journey, right? But that is what the point of this crazy, radical faith is meant to do, right? It's meant to give us a life where everything they could be talking about world war three and we don't flinch right we're not worried like we have our book we have our our direction we have our guide we have everything that we need to help us as we try to navigate through this world having having that faith in god having that radical belief that god loves us and and believing him for the things that we want in our lives means that we are walking really really close to him we're walking really, really close to him. And it also means that we're really obedient to him, right? Some of us find ourselves in specific challenges and specific circumstances because we are not obedient to the Lord. We have not been able to be obedient to God, to the things that God has called us to do. You know you're not supposed to be moving with this crowd. You know that they're nothing but trouble. You know that, that they're not bearing the fruit of the spirit. You know all these things. But yet still, you want to move with them because you want to fit in. You don't want to be the odd man out. But those are the things, guys, that distance us from God. So the more faith that we have in him, the closer we are to him. And the closer we are to him, the better we can hear from him. And the better we can hear from him, the more obedient we can be for him. Recognizing and understanding that that obedience is tied to the will and the destiny and the plan that he has for your life. Last week I was here and, you know, I, I remember talking to one of my, my high school, my close high school friends about this. And I was thinking about how growing up, you know, my, my dad is a very, like, very patriarchal, like, very authoritative figure in our lives and you know from from me really most of my siblings and I we grew up with a single father and so we were always sort of around his very rigid strict sort of guidance and you know looking back on it we, we really appreciate it because it's made us all very well-tempered people and, and really capable of, of dealing with anything but I remember growing up always feeling like I wanted to I wanted to win his approval 
right? I wanted my dad to be so proud of me. I wanted, I wanted him to see and know and understand that, you know, that I was working really hard to make him proud, that I was, that I was trying to be a good daughter for him because I recognized the sacrifices that he had made for me and my siblings. And last week, you know, I, I, I was with him and, you know, we have this little sort of routine where like we're all really busy during the week. Every now and again, like we'll call and catch up. But on Sundays, you know, we come to church and I'll just sit in his car and we'll just talk for hours and we'll just really catch up. Well, he sat in his car and, you know, his, his Bible like slipped and fell out of his hands. And so, you know, he's sitting in the driver's seat. I'm sitting in the passenger seat and, you know, the Bible falls over. And he's, you know, he's kind of, his, his knees are not that great. His back is not that great. So I'm like, don't worry about it, Dad. I'll go around and I'll go pick it up. I'll pick up, I'll pick up your Bible for you. You just stay in the car. You don't do anything. So I walked all the way around and I picked up his Bible. And mind you, I know this. I know that my dad carries his Bible everywhere he goes. Not just when he's coming to church. Everywhere he goes. He just has his Bible with him. So I, I look down and I pick up the Bible, I'm getting ready to hand it to him, and a picture falls, like a picture, a picture just falls out of the Bible. And I look very closely at the picture, and I realize that it's a picture of me when I was a little girl. And I was like, so I pulled the picture out, and I came up around, and I sat in the passenger seat, I was like, Dad, like, who is this? Like, what? what is this? Like, this is like, what? What is this? And, you know, he's just like sarcastically, jokingly like, uh, you know, I think, I think this is, this is my mother. I think this is, this is my mom. And uh, for a lot of people who don't know, I was named after his mother who passed away when he was very young. And, you know, something that he said that almost made me break down, he said, you know, I carry your picture with me everywhere I go. And this, I automatically have this like flashback to like me being a little girl and, and all these different things that I'm doing to win his approval. And, and I have this image of my head of him carrying his Bible, even as I'm a little girl and, and, and now realizing, understanding that like this whole time, this entire time, he carries an image of me wherever he goes. He carries that with him and he's proud of that. And I, I thought, wow. How, how many of us truly understand and believe that God carries that image of us everywhere he is? That he has that same level of care and attention and love for us in that manner that we are so close to him and so close to his heart, just like that. And sometimes the things that we do in trying to win approval from God, just like when I was a young and always trying to win the approval of my father, is something that we don't even realize is done because we don't understand the love that we already have from our Father. It was a powerful moment, and it just reminded me that God wants us to have this sort of radical, crazy, delusional faith in Him because He loves us, guys. Because He wants what's best for us. Because He holds us near and dear to Him. And if we can remain consistent and persistent in that faith that we have for God, you will see your life change for the better. You, you really will. And I don't mean the things on the outside all of a sudden will start to change. But the things on the inside 
you will start to see how you respond to the circumstances of your life, good or bad change, because of this love and this faith that you have in God. So I want you guys to be encouraged. And I want you guys to remember that the woman with the issue of blood was never actually touched by the Lord. The Bible says that it was her faith. It was her mere pursuit, right? God rewarding those who pursue him, those who are eager to know him, those who are eager to touch him, those who are eager to hear from him. Like those are the people that God rewards. And if you can be that person, just watch how your life starts to change. Watch how God starts to do it for you. Watch how your faith in him continues to grow exponentially because you know that he loves you and you know that he is capable of blessing you. If you guys take nothing else from what I've said today, if you take nothing else from what I've said today, I want you guys to remember that your faith, your faith, your belief, your faith, guys, will do more to change your life than you think. What you believe, right? To the point where you can be sitting in a space of depression. You can be sitting in a place or a mental space where you think all is dead. You think there's no way of resurrecting. There's no way of fixing this. And just yet believing, believing that God has the capacity, believing that God will do it in his own timing, not immediately, right? Believing that there is a process and, and that things have to happen the way God allows it to happen. But, but remaining steadfast in your faith. Believing it so that those things will come true. Amen? Amen. Let's rise and let's pray.